Welcome to the Wish Well Podcast, a women's integrative summit on health and wellness. A podcast hosted by Dr. Michelle Dang, a board-certified anesthesiologist and pain management physician with additional fellowship training in integrative medicine. This podcast will feature weekly episodes with women from all walks of life discussing their health and wellness journeys. Hi everyone, it's Dr. Michelle Dang with the Wishwell Podcast. Welcome to today's episode, number 33, with Dr. Rashmi Kudesia. Before we get into the episode, just wanted to check in again with you all. Hope you all are doing well. I really do appreciate my new listeners and also the ones who have been following me from the very beginning. I am so grateful for you all and I do love getting the text messages and other messages, shout outs on Instagram and social media about the podcast episodes. I am so grateful that you all are enjoying these episodes. I love posting these episodes and re-listening to some of these recordings. Um, Some of the recordings I've recorded a while ago, maybe about a few months ago. So getting them ready, edited, um, and posting them. So it's always nice. It almost feels like a little surprise re-listening to some of these episodes that I've recorded. So in this episode, I am talking to Rashmi, who actually coincidentally also lives in Houston. Because of the pandemic, we haven't been able to meet in person, but um, hopefully we can soon. And a few months ago, when the pandemic first started, I hopped onto her live stream on Instagram and talked a little bit about fitness, which I think I had posted it on my website as well. I recorded the episode that we talked about together and posted it on, I believe, YouTube. So if you want to check it out, you can definitely check it out. But I do uh, want to tell you all a little bit more information about her. She is a board-certified reproductive endocrinology and infertility specialist. She completed her degree in biology and medicine from Brown University and her MD with honors from Duke University School of Medicine. Then she pursued her residency in OB-GYN in New York, followed by her REI fellowship and a master's of science in clinical research methods, also in New York. She joined the faculty at Mount Sinai for nearly three years before relocating to Houston, where she currently practices at CCRM Fertility Houston. She serves as a site director for CCRM Houston in Sugarland and the director of patient education. New York and, and, and Houston Sugarland are very different, aren't they? Uh, she holds national leadership roles in organized medicine, regularly presents and publishes scientific research, and enjoys teaching the Houston area OB-GYN residents and medical students. She promotes women's health advocacy through community work and social media with special interest in access to fertility knowledge, counseling, and care. I do love following her on social media. If you are on Instagram, you can definitely give her a follow at R-K-U-D-E-S-I-A. All of that information will be available in the show notes. She does post quite a bit of live stream videos and Instagram posts, and I really do love seeing all the things that she's doing nowadays. So definitely head over there, give her a follow. 
As always, if you do like what you're listening to, please send me a comment, leave me a message, a rating review. You can follow the podcast Instagram page at wishwell.health. You can also send me a note on my Instagram page as well, Michelle Dang MD. Other than that, take care. I will talk to you all next week. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Wishful Podcast. This is Dr. Michelle Ding. I'm here today with Dr. Rashmi Kadesia. Um, Dr. Rashmi Kadesia is a reproductive endocrinology and um, fertility, uh, reproductive endocrinology and fertility specialist in Houston. And I'm so excited to have her here to talk with us today. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So just jumping right in, um, just want to get your ideas on what health and wellness means to you. Well, I think, you know, those two things, you would think that they mean the same thing, but, you know, I think they're kind of overlapping and it's interesting how we use those words now. I mean, I think, especially in medicine, when we talk about health, I think we focus so much on um, just, you know, physical health as can be measured by objective parameters, right? So you go to the doctor and your blood pressure is fine and your blood sugar is fine and all of those things. But I'm just really glad I think personally and and my own health journey has has changed so much for a variety of reasons I know we'll talk about, but I think actually wellness is actually the key to the whole thing, which is much larger um, umbrella term to me, which is not only is your physiology working the way that it's meant to, but also incorporates your mental health um, and incorporates how you're actually getting to those numbers. So some of us might just be genetically lucky and not have blood pressure problems, but are eating really poorly and not, you know, exercising properly and not taking good care of ourselves. Um, And so, you know, that's part of wellness in a way that I think doesn't always get measured when we talk about health. Um, And, you know, I think what I hope um, that over the course of our careers, we'll see more of a focus in the Western um, healthcare system on wellness um, and sort of preventing, um, you know, and sort of maintaining, actively maintaining health. Uh Excellent. And so if you could um, kind of narrow it down to one or two words, uh, what would it mean for you personally? So my two words are confidence and belief. Um, And that comes not only from my personal journey, I guess, but also in what I do with my patients and sort of the idea that our bodies are capable of much more than we often give them credit for. Um, and, you know, that perhaps we've been stuck in in bad patterns that are unhealthy for us and, and make us feel like we have limits um, when the reality is that, you know, we can do a lot more than we often uh, think we can. And so um, for me, over the course of, of trying to think through fitness and in what my body can achieve and, you know, specifically in, in trying to get pregnant and being pregnant, um, and now being postpartum, um, I think those, those ideas have really been a constant thread for me um, and one that I navigate a lot with my patients in the fertility and reproductive health spectrum too. So tell us a little bit about your personal journey if you're able to. Yeah. So I think, you know, um, for many, I guess as for many of us, I, you know, I played sports in middle school and high school, and I was never a great athlete, but I I was regularly physically active. Um, And then kind of getting into college, I was in one of those kind of basic, uh, regimens where I would, you know, maybe go to the gym every so often, less during final seasons. So it's just totally sporadic and up and down. Um, and I'd go to the gym and I'd maybe do some elliptical and then maybe I'd spend some time in the machines, but I never really, you know, had a 
really well thought out fitness regimen in any which way. Um, I had one year where I swam um, kind of regularly, and that was probably the best that I did throughout college and most of medical school, honestly. Um, and honestly, it wasn't until kind of the end of residency and early into my fellowship years, so well into my 20s, um, that for the first time, I actually took a um, fitness studio, like studio class, um, and it was a bar class that I got a Groupon deal for. Um, and I know we had talked kind of about similar to my story. Yep. <laughs> yeah, very similar to your story, which is why I loved your story. Um, but same thing. It was, I was in New York city at that time. And I remember, I think I was in residency and I remember thinking that, you know, the price per class was like insane to me at that time, but I had a Groupon and I went and I just loved it. And it was so hard and I, I was sore and couldn't even move in normal ways for like a week after that class. And it just made me realize that I was completely going about this the wrong way and that I hadn't, hadn't really been challenging myself um, in any way, you know, for years, honestly. Um, and so kind of from there, you know, I kind of tried to keep doing these deals and finding ways to afford classes um, and realizing how few of us honestly can access the world of, of you know, sort of studio, um, studio classes. But um, kind of just changing that and getting into really um, a combination of um, sort of CrossFit type, not, not like actual CrossFit, but like boot camp style um, workouts, which were great. They were high intensity interval training. That's how I came to learn about that. Um, and kind of mixing that up with, you know, a lot of bar and Pilates. And um, eventually I got class pass when that became a thing. Um, and that just radicalized my entire life because I was able to um, do anything and try anything I wanted risk-free, which I think was, um, you know, I think a big turning point for me because I never felt like the athletic person. Um, and so I think that was the first time that having some confidence was important because I felt like, okay, I can try anything once if I've already kind of paid for it through my membership. And, you know, worst cases, I embarrass myself in one class and then I just never go there again. Yeah. Um, and so, and then I was constantly amazed at what I was able to do. Um, and actually when I met my husband, when we were first dating, um, I dragged him with me to one of those boot camp classes. And to be fair, he hadn't really eaten lunch, but <laughs> having to leave halfway through the class, um, because he got really lightheaded and I was, you know, I, and I finished it and, um, it was really awkward because we'd only been dating for a few months and I was like, Oh God, like, you know, what's going to happen with this? But he was actually really amazed and really impressed um, of what I was able to do. And, and like I said, it was one of the first times, um, you know, during that phase that I actually was able to believe and, and be impressed by my own body um, and what yeah. I could achieve. And so, you know, I think that's kind of where I really shifted and found a routine that worked for me and made me feel strong um, and kind of, you know, optimizing um, where I wanted to be fitness wise. Um, but then the downside of that, so I, you know, I was on birth control that entire time. And then at one point decided to come off of birth control because I wanted to check my ovarian reserve. We were married at that point, but not ready to start a family. And again, being a fertility specialist, I was kind of focusing on all of those things being in my mid thirties at that point. Um, and so I came off of birth control and for, I think six months, I never had a period. Um, and so I realized, and that had not been my pattern before that. And so I realized that, you know, at that point I felt really strong. I felt really, you know, kind of in good shape, but I realized that, you know, I was basically hypothalamic. I had stopped ovulating as a result of where my body weight was at that point. Um, and it didn't really matter to me at that, at that point, cause we weren't trying to get pregnant, but it kind of got into my head. Um, and so years later, when we were finally ready to try, it became a really 
tricky thing because on the one hand, I wanted to stay in shape. I wanted to be strong for pregnancy and delivery. But then on the other hand, I felt like when I pushed myself too hard, um, you know, that I... I wasn't ovulating anymore and I felt like I needed to gain some weight. And so it was a really difficult balance. And my husband has been really supportive of my, you know, fitness journey, I guess you could say, but I think it was hard for him to understand too, you know, the sudden shift of why I was pushing myself less um, or, you know, maybe why, you know, during my luteal phases, I was really sticking to really light workouts. Um, even though I tell my patients all the time that people get pregnant running marathons and doing all kinds of labor and, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, but I kind of became a little bit crazy about it myself. Um, and I, it all kind of took me by surprise. Honestly, I, I didn't expect to be that person, but I was. Um, and so eventually it worked out. I did get pregnant. I was ovulating again. Um, you know, I, I figured that out, but it was really stressful. Um, and it kind of took away from the aspect of exercises being something that is a stress reducer, because every time I went to work out, I started to think about, you know, whether this was the right time in my cycle to be doing this workout, you know, whether I was pushing myself too hard or too little. And I just got really in my head about it. Um, and so, you know, that's been a tricky thing to navigate, um, you know, during that time. And, um, and honestly, now again, because with um, breastfeeding, you know, maintaining an adequate milk supply, it's the same, same thing, you know, you feel like you don't want to push yourself too hard um, and, and drop your supply. And so it's, you know, it's been kind of a long journey of, of that. I mean, honestly, the trying to get pregnant, being pregnant, and then breastfeeding is, you know, like a two plus year journey for most women, um, for one baby. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I think, you know, that's where I find myself now. And it's just really made me much more sympathetic to, um, you know, the things that my patients are experiencing, because particularly when you've had, you know, multiple miscarriages or infertility, um, you know, that journey is even longer. And, you know, it's very easy for me to understand now, um, you know, in a way that I understood logically, but not emotionally before, um, you know, what it feels like to doubt your body and, and to not be sure how hard you can push yourself um, and still be healthy. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of the arc that I, I'm still in, if you will. Yeah. I want to back up a little bit because um, for my list, for our listeners who are not in the medical field, they may not really understand the phases that you mentioned and yeah. being hypothalamic from the birth control. And you mentioned, um, you know, the luteal phase. Can you kind of um, explain to some of our listeners um, so that yeah. they can kind of understand? Sure. So, you know, for us, I think, you know, as women, I, I think the most easy way to understand it is that we evolved, you know, think back to prehistoric times, we evolved in such a way that our brain uh, sort of determines each month, you know, is it the right time? Does it seem like the right time to get pregnant? And really the only reason that we do have a menstrual cycle and ovulate and release an egg is all in the purposes of getting pregnant um, from an evolutionary standpoint. And so if our body perceives because there's too much stress for any reason or because we're not eating enough or because we're working out too hard um, and our weight you know, can, is off from the thresholds that our brain has determined, um, then we basically stop ovulating. And that can oftentimes just result in not having a period for months at a time. And that's the kind of thing we often associate with you know, gymnasts and ballerinas and, and you know, kind of the really elite athletes, but it has 
happens to, you know, regular people mm -hmm. too. Um, and so that was what I found. And, and the part of the brain that controls that is, is the hypothalamus. And so when we find that people are just working out, you know, really pushing themselves hard and maybe not balancing that with sufficient nutrition, um, and then they end up without a period, then that sort of creates this, what we call hypothalamic, um, you know, state of, of either no period um, or no ovulation. Um, and so that's kind of where, where I was. And then, um, you know, once you do start ovulating, that, that second phase after the egg is released from there up until you get pregnant or until the next period comes, is that second half of the cycle is the luteal phase. Um, and so, you know, it's the follicular phase is the first half and then the luteal phase. And many women will, will relate to this in that sort of, you know, um, what we call that two-week wait window where it's after you've ovulated, but you're waiting to find out if you're pregnant or not. And, um, you know, that's often a time of a lot of anxiety and, and a lot of times where people are really focusing on every little twinge and thing that they feel. They're trying to hope that, you know, maybe there's an implantation happening. And so, you know, that's a time where many people and, and myself included, feel a little bit nervous about pushing too hard. You think you have this tiny embryo that's trying to implant itself into the uterus. And is it possible that, you know, too many squats will cause it to dislodge itself? <laughs> Not possible, by the way, but um, or at least I don't think it's possible. But um, I think you get, you get in your head uh, about all that stuff. And, and that's definitely what a lot of my patients will tell me. Um, and what, and like I said, what I experienced myself. Um, but so I think people tend to be a little bit more gentle with themselves um, in that in that second half of their cycle. Well, thank you for clarifying that um, for our listeners. Um, so I kind of, excuse me, want to back up a little bit. Um, so I want to kind of get to know what you were like or what prompted you to go into um, REI as a fellowship or as your specialty. Yeah. So it's actually an interesting, well, I mean, of course I think it's interesting, but um, you know, it's kind of an unusual story. Let's put it that way because it, it actually came a little bit backwards. Most people are interested in women's health and then they, they decide they want to do reproductive medicine. For me, it actually happened the other way. Um, I knew I wanted to go into medicine. My dad's a physician, he's a cardiologist. And actually I had thought, you know, and having not that much exposure to a lot of fields as a kid, I had thought I wanted to go into ophthalmology. Um, and actually my freshman year in college, I took an embryology course and the science of it was super cool. I mean, we had labs like fertilizing urchin eggs under a microscope and watching, you know, the, the beginnings of embryonic development. I thought that was super cool. Um, but actually more than that, I got really fortunate because my professor was really fantastic and she was very, very interested in the interplay between science and society. And so we spent actually a lot of time talking about the idea that if IVF or in vitro fertilization and other reproductive technologies exist, you know, now that they do, what does that mean for the experience of women? You know, does it mean that now all of a sudden we have more options um, or does it mean that if we face fertility issues, you know, there's more and more pressure for us to do more and more things to our body because these technologies exist. Um, and there's actually a really robust feminist literature on this topic, which, you know, most, um, actually even most REIs are probably unfamiliar with. And that was really, really fascinating to me. So I actually spent a lot of time in college um, reading and researching that feminist literature, which is actually pretty anti, or at least at that time was pretty anti reproductive technologies and getting really just fascinated with what that meant for the lives of women. Um, and started thinking, you know, as I was getting ready to go to medical school, that if I liked the clinical practice um, of REI was really what I wanted to do. And, and that's pretty much what happened, it, you know, cutting a long story short, got to medical school as a first year and just reached out to the division director 
and he was a great mentor. And what I realized is that it's just awesome to be able to work with young women and by and large who are generally healthy, but are really motivated um, to try and take good care of their bodies, which is really cool because it's different than what a lot of my colleagues in medicine experience where they really have to try to push their patients to be compliant. My patients are trying the hardest they can um, to be healthy. And you know, with where success rates are in 2020, we can give so much good news. Um, so it's a very happy field a lot of the time. Um, but it's a cool mix. I get to do a lot of stuff with my hands, but then I also spend a lot of time talking to people. Um, so it's, it's really um, just kind of the, ended up being the right mix of things for me. Yeah, that's such a great story. And um, so when you were kind of going through this trying to conceive um, period, um, do you feel like how you approach your patients, do you feel like that has changed since you've been able to, since you were going through that experience yourself? You know, I think as a woman, you know, I think there is a little bit more that you relate to the process at any stage, you know, I mean, even when I was a fellow, my first year in fellowship, I, I was in still in my 20s then. And even then I, I had patients that would tell me, oh, you know, you're not married, you're not mom yet, you know, don't wait too long, don't do what I did, you know. And it's really interesting that, you know, throughout my entire career, my patients have really been pretty open with advice as to what I should and shouldn't do. Um, and so I think it really just allows you to relate a lot more in a way that, you know, is unique because you can really easily put yourself in their shoes. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that that part's there, but sure. I think, um, you know, going through that process and really knowing what it feels like to see a negative pregnancy test when you're really hoping and have convinced yourself that all of those little twinges meant something, um, you know, that disappointment or the uncertainty, even as a reproductive endocrinologist, I try to stay sane and not, you know, do ultrasounds on myself or, you know, go really crazy trying to pinpoint my ovulation. But as a result, I had uncertainties myself as to yeah. the timing of everything. And, um, you know, so I think that felt very unclear um, and, and kind of disconcerting. And, and I just remember thinking that if this is difficult for me to figure out, what does that mean for all of my patients or, you know, just the average woman, honestly, that's, that's not having access to this knowledge and all these tools. So I think, yeah, it's changed, you know, just sort of expanded, I guess you could say, um, my, my empathy for how confusing the whole process is and really pushed me to make sure I, I really am explaining everything as clearly as I can. Um, because I just think that um, unless and until you have difficulty getting pregnant, oftentimes we don't access a lot of this information um, about our reproductive health. Yeah. Yeah. And to speak to the, just the stress about um, trying to conceive and then once you get pregnant, um, you worry about every little thing. I mean, I know I can speak to it myself. Um, at least, you know, my son is 11 now and thank God he's healthy. But, um, you know, in, throughout the whole process, when I was trying to get pregnant, I mean, it, everything is so stressful and you're like on edge. And so it can definitely empathize with everything that you probably went through and your patients have gone through. Um, so it is hard and it is hard to find a balance. And um, so talk to me a little bit about um, now you have a six month old. Yeah, she just turned seven months, but yep. Oh, seven months, oh. Yeah. So how has that changed you? You know, I think um, it's kind of stereotypical to say, but I do find myself sometimes thinking about, you know, how I want her to feel about her own body, right? And what I want to model to her. And so I think it's been interesting because with everything um, related to COVID, um, you know, usually I, I work out, you know, in a, 
in a gym or in a studio class or whatever. But, um, you know, now we've been working out at home and sometimes, you know, my husband and I will work out together. Um, and you know, even if it's a half an hour workout, she gets really frustrated that we're not paying attention. And so I usually will incorporate her into it, um, you know, and use her as my weight. And, you know, she's like my, uh, my kettlebell substitute. Um, she's heavier now than my kettlebell that I usually use. So it's like a challenge for me, but she loves it. Um, but, you know, I was just not going to remember any of this, but I, I find myself thinking, you know, that I, I wish that she would, you know, and I, I, I think it would be really great to, um, you know, to kind of be in a household where exercise is just a normal part, you know, concerted, structured exercises, just a normal part of life. Um, and, you know, she's really physically um, active. She, you know, and I mean, all babies are, but, you know, she, when I watch her just like spin around her crib, like she's very flexible and very um, tenacious. Like she really, if she wants to turn a certain way or reach a certain thing, she will figure out how to do that. And it goes back, I think, to the idea of that idea of confidence and, and belief and that, you know, I think she just really thinks that wherever she's trying to get to, she can really get there. Um, and I think, you know, I, I just find myself thinking that I really want to model that for her. Um, and, and, you know, and so, um, I think it's important to, to do that. And I often say that to my patients too, because I get a lot of patients, especially here in Houston, um, that really are trying to lose weight, um, you know, and, and get to a healthier version of themselves. Sometimes it's because they have things like polycystic ovary syndrome or whatever else. Um, and, you know, I often will tell them, you know, Hey, this is just a really cool time to be changing your habits because not only is it going to make you have a much better pregnancy, but, you know, it kind of sets that tone in your household. Like this is a household where we eat well. This is a household where we exercise. Um, and, you know, most people are like, oh, yeah, I, do. I want my kids to have those habits. So maybe I should start doing them. Um, so I guess that's kind of where, where I find myself now. Yeah. And to speak to that, um, definitely, I think it's important to teach healthy habits from a young age. And um, as we spoke in another time prior, mm -hmm. um, it was never important to me. So when I was pregnant with my son, I never worked out. It really wasn't until after I had him that I started realizing how unhealthy I was. And I wanted to make that part of my uh, routine. And so it's never too late. And uh, it's yeah. also never too early either. <laughs> so I think yeah. that's really amazing. And it's great that you incorporate her so that as she gets older, it will become part of her life and part of her, her healthy, you know, routine. So yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Well, we're going to be running out of time soon, but I want to make sure that we have the opportunity to find out how we can um, get in touch with you. Um, yeah. So I guess I'll, I'll send over all my handles, but I am most active on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I do see patients, um, obviously, like you said, here in Houston. So anybody that's trying to manage PCOS or fertility issues, um, that's what I do my daily uh, in and out. Um, but yeah, I'm on social media and I would love to connect with anybody that, you know, the story resonates with. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking your time out to record with me today. And I'm so glad that we we're able to connect today. Thank you so much, Michelle. All right. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wish Well podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe and follow along every week for new episodes. You can find us on Instagram at wishwell.health and at our website, wishwell.health.blog. Until next time, I wish you health and I wish you wellness. Thank you.